Hello, this is Big Red, and you're listening to the Big Red for America show. Today is our fourth and final episode in our season on conservatism. Today, we're taking a a little different approach. We're looking at the future of conservatism, and we're going to be interviewing our editor and producer, Mark. Mark has thankfully been the editor and producer of the show, producing some of the background music and making us just sound the best we can be. And he's also worked extensively on local Republican elections, particularly with school board back when he was in Georgia. Are you there, Mark? Yep. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us on the Big Red for America show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So last episode, we talked about Trump and particularly his lasting impact on conservatism. Uh, I mentioned that how I think he did was a good conservative president. But what do you think Trump's lasting impact on conservatism is? Do you think it's positive? Do you think it's negative? Yeah, so I think, uh, first off, I think it's important to separate the idea of conservatism and Republican being the same thing. And I'm sure we'll touch on this later about the Republican Party and his impact on that. Um, Because I think they're two totally different things, his impact on conservatism itself versus what his impact on the Republican Party is. On conservatism, for what he's done, he's had actually a great impact. He's one of the most conservative presidents Mm policy-wise I can think of. Um, Maybe there's some close ones with Reagan and some others, but on the idea of pushing the policy of conservatism, he's been great. Yeah, I totally agree. We talked about last week that his his firm advocation for constitutional rights was was big. Um, And then towards the end of the, the show, I also talked about how he's impacted conservative candidates, and I specifically mention uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, and Dan Crenshaw, the Republican representative from Texas in the House. Now, I didn't I didn't say, I didn't want to say that I think he was the one who got them in to their, their politics, but I said that I think he made it, you know, quote unquote, cool to slap back at the media. Do you, do you think that Trump's presidency imp- impacted these candidates? Do you think that's why they're perhaps looking at, you know, presidential runs from either one of these two candidates? Well, I think it did impact them, maybe not in the same way as some other conservatives or Republicans uh, may think Trump impacted them. I think it's more of how the media impacted Crenshaw and um, DeSantis. And what I mean by that is because of Trump's uh, abrasiveness and how he handled the media, it, it has now almost become a norm or liked among conservatives and Republicans for that pushback in the media, um, which you see Ron DeSantis. He is very skilled at, at pushing back against the media. Crenshaw is the same way. You know, he, he has no problem sticking to his guns and, and calling out someone who's wrong or says something, um, you know, the, the way the media portrays things now. And I think that right there of itself, that kind of unfiltered, uh, speaking to call out the way things are represented, that is something that is directly in line with what Trump's impact is. The way Trump said it is very different than the way Ron DeSantis and uh, Crenshaw pushed back. They're definitely more polished uh, politicians and polished speakers. But that was kind of the appeal of Trump was he was the first one and he was this like bulldog that would kind of go in there. So they're, they're like a nice middle ground and I think that impact that, that's the impact Trump's had is, is kind of pushing them where they're no longer just doing the typical political speak. Now there is a bit of a conflict that needs to be done to kind of put some of the media narrative into its place. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It was uh, very refreshing to see a Republican president or just Republican politicians stand up to the media and not just try to roll over and appease them. I remember even being fairly young when uh, George Bush was president. I just kind of remember thinking, why does no one stand up to the media? So it was nice to see Trump do that and then see more new Republican politicians stand up against the media too, because there's no way that you're ever going to appease these people. Yeah. Now, some of the downside of that, though, is it because of social media and how everyone has a voice, no matter who you are, um, the downside of that and the misnarrative is the Democrats now can swing completely far, as far left as they want to. And there's really no repercussions anymore. Um, so the biggest thing I see coming out of the Trump presidency when it comes to basically anything in politics is there's no more accountability um, for what you say. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where the Republicans are pushing back or conservatives is trying to make the, that accountability happen. But that's definitely a stronghold the Democrats have right now. Um, that is interesting. I'm not sure how you get that back from them. But. No, that's, that's completely true. Um, and I think part of that was Republicans used to uh, well, I guess pre-Trump were a little bit more, I don't want to say moral, but like they really would use that as like one of their political tools. Like, oh, you know, we stand for this and we stand for this. And then we had a president who didn't, who personally may not have met a lot of those check boxes. So I think part of that could be the Democrats now just pushing back and say, hey, you guys said that you were for, you know, telling the truth and not the end all this. And then you had, you elected this president who, that you know doesn't meet any of these check boxes that you say you have so all you guys really can't hold us accountable I, i've heard a little bit of that just kind of perusing social media and stuff like that yeah and that's hilarious i've heard the exact same thing and it always cracks me up because then you look at biden and you go wait a minute <laughs> if it was so important about trump being honest and he's such a liar and this is the worst thing that happened in the world how come there's no narrative about biden's lies i mean they've been far more numerous um than i think trump ever has been uh it just shows you how much power there is in, in controlling that media and having the entire or controlling that narrative and having basically the entire media complex on your side it's it's, it's like let's just sweep this under the rug when biden says something right um it's actually kind of frightening in a way yeah it totally is it's like um we're living in the uh Soviet Union, you just have the state-sponsored media, or I guess even Russia. Russia still is state-sponsored media, but uh, in getting a little bit more back on topic, I know you said we, we, I asked you how, what you thought Trump's lasting impact on conservatism is, and you said uh, you wanted to separate the Republican Party from that, which I think is extremely wise. Uh, throughout the podcast, I, or throughout this season, I mentioned that conservatism, you know, used to not really so much anymore but cross political lines or you at least see conservative elements across political parties and of course you can see progressive elements in the republican party by no means are those contained left or right but do you what's your opinion on how trump's changed the republican party i've had some friends say that you know trump has set the republican party back you know 10 15 years which i which i disagree with um but what would what and what's your opinion on how Trump changed the Republican Party beyond just you know not just conservatism? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure it's, it's exactly the cards have fallen into place yet on what his impact will be on the Republican Party. And I think a lot of that, in my mind, has to do with the last election, um, right? You had Trump, who had more votes than any president in history, except for Biden, who was running against him, um, which is a crazy statement. Having that many people come out and vote and you still lose, that's a crazy thing to say. So thinking of that and thinking of the Republican Party, my I'm not sure the cards have landed. And I think the next midterm election is going to be kind of eye-opening for the future of the Republican Party. Um, on who gets elected. Are they only Trump-backed candidates? Or are they candidates, like you said, like is Ron DeSantis just going to take charge and go forward, which I hope he does, personally? Mm -hmm. um, or is it going to be a bunch of these people tr still trying to be the, the Trumpians doing mm -hmm. their stuff? So it's, I'm not sure exactly what the answer to that is yet, because um, I still think there's a lot of good and bad things Trump did for the Republican Party. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I think there's more to come in the next two, two to six years. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's very wise. I know. I think it's, it probably is too early for sure to say. Um, because I know one of the things that I've liked is that he's kind of pushed back against the republic, the the more progressive Republicans, or at least the ones that are kind of falsely, falsely love making deals with the Democrats, which normally just means caving into them as how the Democrats define compromise. So I know there was some pushback against Liz Cheney, uh, whether that was right or wrong. You know, I, it's not really the topic here, but there's pushback against her, you know, even George Bush. Um, so I think and, you know, Trump really did not get along with Mitt Romney, who I think is kind of just your beige politician you know he doesn't really seem to do too much up there or really stand for much except but yeah i would say actually in the along those lines one of the best things trump did for the republican party and this is probably not on purpose just his personality was he didn't go in there expecting to play the politics he went in there and did it the way he would have ran one of his business and what i mean by that is if someone like a mitt romney or liz cheney that was supposedly the these great Republican figures said something he didn't like or didn't agree with, he had no problem calling them out and putting them in their place, um, which is, in my mind, refreshing because politics is not, you know, I don't think politics should be a popularity contest necessarily, mm -hmm. um, right? I am firmly in the belief that there should be term limits because mm -hmm. career politicians are terrible, terrible for the country. And Trump was okay with that. He was okay with going in and being like, you guys aren't doing anything. You say this, and you're not doing it um, and calling them out like that, I think is refreshing for many Republicans, because um, at least for me, a lot of this stuff they said, like you said, a lot of the things Republicans promised they weren't delivering on or they would compromise. Um, the Republicans would compromise and you wouldn't ever see a Democrat compromise. Mm -hmm. So every time it, things went to the left, the conservative Republicans would shift to the left and become more less and less conservative, less and less Republican. And he kind of helped say, wait, we don't have to do this. Just because we're compromising, they need to compromise too, which was refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I want to follow up on one point that you said, where you talked about how the next midterm elections, and we're really looking at the next two to six years, we see Biden's popularity and approval continue to free fall, which is normally 
endemic of a horrible, horrible midterm. But, you know, looking past that, a lot of people are looking to 2024, the next Republican candidate. Do you have any personal personal favorites you'd like to see win the nomination in 2024? Um, yeah, first I'll say I don't think Trump should run. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the worst thing he could do for conservatism or Republican or the Republican Party. Um, he is uh, he's really good at building a swell of support. Um, mm-hmm. And he should do that. And he should play behind the scenes. Keep doing his rallies. Keep doing that. Support whatever candidate comes out. But he should not himself run. I think that would be damaging because a lot of people that wouldn't vote if it was someone else will vote just against Trump for no reason other than the fact it's Trump. Um, and I think you saw that with Biden. A lot of people didn't even really want to vote, but then they didn't want Trump in office, so they came out and just voted against him. Kind of like Hillary Clinton. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of Republicans came out and voted against her just because it was her. No other reason. So I think that would be terrible. And then my favorite candidate right now would actually be Ron DeSantis, mainly because he is just just destroying the narrative that's being put out against him. And every time they attack him, he just throws them down. Um, and he's very smart. I remember there's an article about Ron DeSantis where he had a meeting with a uh, with a doctor about the COVID virus, and the doctor actually came in expecting to be able to tear DeSantis apart, and then left him call and was saying, "Well, actually, he knows more about the virus and the science than I do or anyone else I know." Um, and I think being able to follow those facts and understanding the minutia and detail of all this stuff. Um, you know, he's a really strong candidate for us. Um, vice president wise on the ticket, you know, I don't think it's time for Crenshaw yet. I'm not sure who I'd like. Maybe Abbott would be a good choice as a mm-hmm. VP. Mm-hmm. I'm a little 50-50 on the VP pick. I don't think it's as important either as it used to be, no. um, especially with who we have as VP now. I mean, the fact they picked her was mind blowing <laughs> and it still works out. So I'm not sure the VP is that important anymore um, but i think with desantis we got a pretty strong strong candidate with him so far so yeah i would agree on pretty much all of that first off i would say that i'm not even sure we still have a vice president i <laughs> i think she's hiding in the white house somewhere just waiting for biden to leave or wander away and never come back uh, i think that's the best thing she could do for her political career is to try to disassociate herself as far away from this president as she can um yeah, I would say in, in her defense, that is the smartest thing she can do. I mean, Biden, Biden, all of Biden is a nuclear bomb just with like a clock going off. You never mm-hmm. know when it's going to erupt. So you might as well distance yourself, right? Yeah, that's um, I, I think the only reason why Democrats have kept him in office this far is because she, according to poll numbers is even polls even worse amongst the democrats and republicans so i think a lot of people are like oh well just kick him out and have kamala it's like there's i don't think there's a way if if kamala were to assume the presidency that it would be it would be disastrous for the democrats yeah yeah i'm like 50 50 on that but i I think you're it's leaning towards i think you're right yeah but uh i i agree i don't as much as i I'm a personal supporter of Donald Trump, especially during his presidency. Um, I think, like what you were saying, he drove out, unfortunately, he drove out a lot of Democrats to turn and just vote against him because he was Donald Trump, because they believed the media's lies. And um, he even isolated, 
when we talked about him transforming the Republican Party, he even isolated some of his own, some of the Republicans, you would see a lot of like signs for Republicans against Trump, which kind of blew my mind because there's, you're, there's never just, you're never voting against someone in, in politics. And I talked to, I talked to my coworkers about this. That's, you can't just look at how bad Trump is, you know, how a, a religious or amoral Trump is. You have to compare, you had to compare him in 2016 to Hillary Clinton. You had to compare him in 2020 to Joe Biden. Like you can never just look at someone, one politician in a vacuum. Yeah, um, and I would say along those lines, you're a hundred percent correct. And it's kind of an unfortunate thing. It goes back to my idea of politics shouldn't be a popularity contest. Um, Cause the president's not supposed to be, I don't, I mean, at least in my mind, he's not supposed to be our cheerleader. Like. He doesn't need to be this polished guy that says everything perfect, right? Mm -hmm. I care way more about his actions than I do about what he says. Um, and that's where Trump succeeded was he was very conservative in his policies and the things he did. Um, and then and vice versa, if you were to actually truly honestly take a look at Obama's presidency, I mean, the guy lied through his teeth. Everything he did policy-wise is the exact opposite of what he said publicly, mm -hmm. um, which frightens me far more than someone who says something publicly but does the right thing action-wise you know it's one of those walk the walker talk the talk type deal you know and that and that's absolutely that's absolutely true which is to your point why why personally i would be i would look towards like a ronda santis running because i think we kind of get the polish that trump didn't that uh trump didn't have but we still get the the bite against the media that we kind of that we kind of need you know someone who's that doesn't stick his foot in his mouth as often because unfortunately that's what the media latches on and yeah yeah i would just say dan crenshaw would be up there with him i do want to give him credit i love dan crenshaw and what he says and the things you know i've read a couple of his papers that he's posted out on certain topics um he's very smart i just think he's too new in this arena um you know he he should build a bit more of a coalition around them first so yeah and i think i would totally agree you know he just he just got elected i want to say 2018 i think was when he, he was you know officially elected in 2018 started his term in 2018 so he is he is very new um but yeah i enjoy seeing his stuff definitely you know just reading his tweets and all that because i think he's he's very thoughtful in in what he says but yeah it's he's he's still young in terms you know in terms of the politics game you had biden hanging around for who's hung around for 40 plus years i mean yeah so beyond so looking into the future you know we're looking past 2024 past the past the midterms so what what are some ongoing issues that you think conservatives are going to face in the future i think the, the first one i want to kind of touch on is the covid is a COVID pandemic. Hopefully it's not lasting past the midterms, but we never know. But some of the greater trends coming out of the COVID pandemic are growth of government and government overreach. So how do you think conservatives can, can combat this? Yeah, so I would say actually the biggest concern I have coming out of 2020 and the pandemic, and I guess this kind of touches on those two you mentioned, is actually voter reform. And what worries me is where I live now in Pennsylvania, um, 
basically without even caring about our state constitution, the governor had a uh, emergency declaration and changes the change the voting laws. Uh, I mean, like in insanely changing voting laws, mm-hmm. right? And now that the pandemic's over and we're, you know, we're trying and I know it's not technically over, but now that we're sort of getting back to normal, at least to a little bit of an extent, um, what worries me is this this narrative you see from the Georgia and Texas and these other states and this, our governor, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania is saying, um, saying we have to keep this stuff. It's permanent mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you know, you shouldn't make drastic changes in an emergency and then expect for those to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is frightening because the changes that were made were not, um, even in an emergency, were not necessarily changes that needed to be made. There's definitely a power grab to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that worries me a lot. Uh, the overreach of government, that's always going to be an issue with me. Um, you know, when it comes to like mandates, I am firmly against mandates, and I know you've said this on the podcast, and I 100% agree. Mandates on masks, mandates on vaccines. I just don't like mandates. And mm-hmm. as you've said, it doesn't mean you shouldn't wear a mask or get a vaccine. You should absolutely do that. But the idea that one person in charge gets to decide that worries me. Um, mainly, there's this idea in America, and it's actually funny enough, uh, there's some celebrities and other people coming out against this, there's this idea in America that, that we're free, freedom of choice. We can do what we want. Mm-hmm. And what worries me is if you mandate something, you're basically taking away that freedom because freedom mm-hmm. is a two-edged, double-edged sword. Freedom doesn't mean everything you do is going to be great for you in society, mm-hmm. right? I have the freedom to drink alcohol all day. That also has consequences where I could get, you know, some kind of cancer or liver disease or something like that. I have the freedom to do it, though. It's not the right choice, but I do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the same thing with vaccines. You have the freedom to get it or you have the freedom not to. And that's your choice. Yeah. It might not be the right decision if you decide not to. You know, it could kill you. It's very unlikely if you look at the data, but it could. Mm-hmm. So it's your choice at the end of the day. It's your choice. Yeah. And I know I've, we've, I've talked about this on the podcast that freedom of choice effectively ends whenever you make a decision that democrats don't like that they're very for certain decisions um like oh they need to have the freedom to choose this or choose that but as soon as you for example choose not to get a vaccine that's when everyone gets up in arms yeah and it's interesting there's there's this weird i mean i don't understand their strategy at all i never have understand democrats strategy but it really on this one it doesn't i don't understand it if it was really this important uh, the vaccination, why would they do mandates knowing that basically every conservative is going to be against it? Why mm-hmm. not use the opportunity? And this is something like DeSantis says, use the opportunity to educate, educate on the importance of vaccines and why it's happening. Don't mandate it. Because mm-hmm. if you did that, then because I guarantee you, I know at least half my friends that are against vaccines. The reason they're against vaccines isn't because they don't believe in it. It's because they're hesitant that someone's forcing them to do it. Yeah. Right. So if they just didn't force you to do it, if they just said, here's the info on it, this is what we think you should do. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. Then I guarantee most of my friends that don't have the vaccine would have gotten it by now. But the fact they're saying, look, if you do this, then you can be a normal American again. They're like, wait a minute, something's fishy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is very un-American, not just speaking, you know, philosophically, but we were we've always been told the importance of, you know, kind of standing up 
to, to government. Um, Americans have always had a deep, deep distrust of any of any of any authority figure, you know, whether that's good or bad for us. Um, but yeah, I, tyranny, I, tyranny is a real thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about the voter reform. And now that um, Democrats want to make those changes permanent. We saw that with um, with H.R. 1, what the Democrats tried to, with that horrible, horrendous bill that the Democrats tried to push. Um, and my fear kind of building on yours is not only that they're permanent, but that, you know, conservatives are actually going to seed ground and now elections are going to become, you know, are going to become less secure. We kind of saw that with Georgia comparing Georgia's new vote, new quote unquote, Jim Crow 2.0, uh, which Biden should know is an absolute complete lie. But beyond that, it's it's more lenient than their previous than the bill pre-pandemic. So I'm afraid that we're going to end up giving away too much too much security in, in order to try to appease and you know because no one wants to be called racist. Unfortunately, the Democrats really have that power. Um, no one wants to be called racist, so I think a lot of Republicans might be afraid and make poor poor policy decisions and try to try to appease a media that you know, a set or a party that can never be appeased. Yeah. And you said this, uh, I, I've heard you say this a bunch and me and you have talked about this in the past and it blows my mind. Some of the things that Democrats say publicly that don't offend every person of color or every, mm -hmm. cause but some of the stuff they say, like the idea that voter ID is racist. It's like, well, just think that through logically. That means you're saying there's no person of color that's smart enough to get an ID. Mm -hmm. You can get an ID in like a hundred different ways, right? Like, how is that not offensive to a lot of people? I mean, there's a ton of stuff they do, like Jim Crow on steroids. Do they not remember what Jim Crow was? How does that mm -hmm. not offend every person that had a family member during that time, right? Mm -hmm. Historically. And that, that uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know how you awaken people to that. Um, especially in the day, days of social media. But that it, it's always been mind-blowing to me. The fact they get away with saying stuff like that, and it's like, wait a minute, if you took two extra steps to think about it, you'd be like, wait, that's really offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I can't believe, I mean, they've, they've gotten people fired over less, but for Joe Biden to say in an interview that if you have trouble deciding to vote for Trump or me, then you ain't black. Yeah. But, or uh, Ben Carson, he's Uncle Tom. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, like don't you see? Yeah, don't you see how how racist uh, that is? I think hopefully, you know, with people like Candace Owens gaining more national prominence, um, they can. Because unfortunately, I think they're gonna. It's gonna have to be you know black conservatives, not you know not that white conservatives don't have a have a role to play in pointing that out i just think it's unfortunate the democrats have created a a culture where it's just less effective where they can discount what we say because we're white or we're coming from a position of privilege or whatever racist bs they use to justify that so i think a lot of that's going to come down to um black conservatives and movements like blexit that just help like what you said like awaken people be like wow like if you just thinking through this that like it's incredibly insensitive or incredibly racist that they how they how the democrats just look down on people of color yeah i'd agree and i think the way biden's presidency is going policy-wise um 
I think the only way to awaken a lot of people is personal turmoil. And what I mean by that is not reading the headlines, things happening across the country. Because the truth is 95% of Americans, when they read those headlines, they're not getting personally affected on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. um, which means you're not going to emotionally care because it's not affecting you. Yeah. But as inflation rises, as joblessness happens, as all this stuff's going on, that is going to be more and more on a personal level, individual level that affects them. And then that's where I think you'll see people starting to awaken a little bit and realize, holy crap, I've just been reading the headlines. I got to figure out what's going on. This is affecting me personally. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and continuing on like future for future issues with conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about go- the growth of government overreach in with COVID, but now that Joe Biden is trying to push this $3.5 trillion infrastructure, this quote unquote infrastructure bill with full blown, just socialist policies baked in. How do you think, how can conservatives combat this issue or, you know, how can we try to reorient people to, there are a framers view of the of government um that's a loaded question because there's like i think a hundred different areas that need addressed in that but if we were to break it down first off i think you have to realize this is not a combat sport even though the democrats want to make it one and the news makes money off of turning politics into this this fight where it's like life and death it's not i mean everything that happens like i said on an individual level Think about it that way and mm-hmm. and you can change people and people's minds when you talk to them individually when you're doing stuff like going to twitter and putting out one sentence about how terrible biden is that has no effect on changing anyone's mind all it's good all it's going to do is is um reinforce people who already believe in what you believe um so individual levels person to person you know if you have a friend that doesn't believe in what you believe go Try to figure out why and have a conversation with them over coffee or over dinner, right? Um, that's the key, I think, the success of, success of conservatism and the Republican Party in the future. And I think Republican Party in the future, too, there is this, there's going to be a need, need to be a reckoning. And what I mean by that is it needs to come back to conservative values. The ground we have ceded in some areas needs to be taken back. And that, like I said earlier, that's one thing Trump was pretty good at, was not letting too much of the conservative values go policy-wise. Um, and I think having a reckoning in the conservative party is going to be huge in the sense of bringing it back to, to the true core tenets of constitutionalism and conservatism. Um, I know myself personally and a lot of other people, I don't necessarily even think I'm a Republican anymore. I'm more, I think, a libertarian conservative. Um, and it's a lot of the way the Republican Party has handled certain situations. And um, they steered away from some conservative values I think are very important. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't think I've left them completely, but I'm not happy with the way some policies have been made, or at least the way they talk about certain certain things they want to enact. You know, um, So there needs to be a reckoning in there somehow, which is terrifying knowing that the Democrats are in control and we need to take take it back in two years so that's 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 true yeah we i know personally we've talked a lot about the importance of just one-on-one with people and that's truly where where the battle is so 
I think that's a that's a great takeaway. You know, you're never going to convince like what you said, blasting some blasting Biden on Twitter is not going to have someone be like, oh, wow, yeah, they're actually making a lot of sense. I should become a conservative. But it's going to be like you said, those those conversations over coffee, those um, conversations over dinner. I believe Dan Bongino said once they stop seeing us as bad people with ideas and start seeing us as people with bad ideas, you know, that's, that's what the, what needs to happen. So right now they can, and when I say bad ideas in terms of they might disagree with them. So instead of seeing us as hateful people, if they just see us with people as people with ideas, they disagree with, then we can start to have those conversations. So I think what you said about one-on-ones is, is true. And something is a something that the listeners here should really take away with if if we're going to look towards moving the country back in a more sane direction. And I also I totally agree with that. There needs to be a reckoning within the Repo- the Republican Party. And to your point, uh, you being more libertarian, I think we need to be we need to not throw all our hope in the Republican Party, but and then let them sort out our ideals. We need to hold our ideals closer and then force the Republican party to, to hold these ideals because that's what, that's what the voters have. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you, you as an individual, so not you as in big red, but the listeners as individuals, you, this is something I've done personally. And I know I've talked to you about it on out off the podcast. But take your core values of what you believe on each subject and boil it down to what's your like most core ethical values that you have to stick to. If something was to happen, you go back and this is where you draw the line. And then every conversation you have or, or thing you think about um, policy-wise or, or political-wise, uh, at least for me, I always take it back to where's my, where's my fine line that I'm not crossing? And then you go from there, right? And... Um, and if you're not sure, you boil it down even more. Where's the fine line? Um, like abortion, for example. There's going to be a fine line there, right? Or immigration. There's somewhere on the line, there's going to be a fine line. Um, so find those for yourself. It'll change. And a lot of that will be education of listening to a Bongino or a Ben Shapiro or, a, you know, Big Red. And, and educating yourself on these issues because you can't know everything. That's the other thing to remember. Mm. You can't know everything. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, I think, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you, Mark, for taking time out of your busy schedule of editing podcasts for me uh, to just chime in on the future of conservatism. Yeah. Can I say one more thing real quick that um, I I don't think I covered completely for the the growth of government overreach? Absolutely. The other thing is that, yeah, stand your ground. And what I mean by that on a conservative level is this, it goes back to when you draw your fine lines on what you believe in morally and ethically, if someone goes to cross that, right? Like, so if you go out and you are totally against mandating vaccines and you go to a restaurant that's mandating everyone that goes under the vaccine, doesn't mean you have to make a scene, but it means you don't have to eat there. That's mm-hmm. the way our market works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am totally 100% for not using any social media or any companies. I don't watch. I actively will tell restaurants or airports to turn off CNN if I see it playing. Um, you know, I do everything in my power to make sure they can't monetize my eyes. Um, and I do that across as much as I can. Um, it's hard, right? Amazon's one. 
it's hard not to shop at Amazon, mm-hmm. um, but I do it as much as possible. So that that kind of power of, of pulling them back, I think, is the real key there. Is is not letting people push you over just for convenience sake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's reason why for book club we don't link book links to Amazon. We go to instead to thrift books. You know, like you said, you're not yep. letting them monetize your eyes. And that's yeah. true. You know, it's talking about standing your ground. We've talked extensively, or at least I've spoken extensively on this topic in terms of mandates or whatever. You know, the founders envisioned powerful state governments. And unfortunately, the Democrats have polluted this idea of states' rights or, you know, state sovereignty. They look through it through the lens of the Civil War and through slavery, which is to is a half truth because unfortunately the Southern states did use states' rights to justify slavery to it to justify protections against federal overreach of slavery but that doesn't poison the whole ideal um and what we need to do now is you know vote for like you were talking about in pennsylvania vote for state legislatures and governors who are not afraid to stand up against the government we see that in states like arizona florida texas um and many other red republican states across across America, people who aren't afraid to stand up to to the federal government. We're going to see it. We're also going to have to get involved in a local level, too, because that's where you have the most voice. You have the most voice at your local level becomes a little bit more watered down to the state level. And then in the federal level, it's it's almost completely gone. So that is I like what you said about standing up and where where can we stand up is electing state local and state representatives who really support our views i think that's a great point yep and making yourself known right like i contact i'll email my state rep um all the time i've done it you know a couple times and they always get back to me but i'll ask them about certain issues um not saying i'm going to change their mind with my email i'm just a little peon in there in the Mm -hmm. area but uh at least then they they are getting the idea that you know they're who they represent we do care about these issues mm-hmm. and they're going to be the closest local smallest level to fix them um that doesn't mean you go in and yell at them right you know be respectful be be polite mm-hmm. um if it's like a restaurant that's saying you have to wear a mask or something and you disagree with it that doesn't mean you have to yell at them and make a scene to prove a point i mean mm-hmm. you just don't go there mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah, because those those poor waiters working at the restaurant, they're not the ones, you know, they probably don't want to wear a mask as much as you don't want to wear a mask, but they're unfortunately at the whims of, you know, the man, maybe not even the man, it could not even be the manager, it could be, you know, if it's like a chain, it could be, for example, McDonald's, I have no idea what McDonald's per store policy is, but it could be a decision yeah. made by CEOs that's that they do not have an opinion, they don't have a voice, you know, the people working at your local restaurant, so... Not yeah. only that, they could be getting they could be getting fined right by their government. So as a business, they have to try to stay in business. So, um, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, which is the best thing you can always do, you know, is it easier to just say you have to wear a mask rather than paying a fine, just so you can stay in business, right? You don't you don't know what all the variable are variables are in their eyes. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think this whole conversation, you know, this touched on, you know, an important conservative principle, like what you were saying, it's really the belief in the power of the individual, you know, you're not going to go in there and scream and yell, but 
you're going to take your dollars elsewhere. And, you know, yep. if enough conservatives stand up and take their dollars elsewhere, then the companies whose true interest is in making a profit um, will feel the hurt and, and change. Yep. All right. Thank you again, Mark, for giving us your wise, wise advice. Thank you so much for editing the podcast. Look forward to, to more things coming out more seasons coming out in the future i don't think i've quite determined what season two will be yet i think it might be a little it might be on the constitution but i haven't decided anything yet yeah yeah this was fun i always enjoy editing it and getting it out every week and talking to you about politics as much as possible um it's always fun (laughs) thank you so much and thank you for listening to the big red for america show where the opinions are always right and the facts are always cited Did you like what you heard? Make sure to tune in next week for our fresh new podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parlor, and Getter. Subscribe to our Substack for our sources. Thank you for listening to the Big Red for America show, where the opinions are always right and the facts are always cited.